Hello, and welcome back to the HSAC podcast. For those of you that don't know, we are the Harvard College Sports Analytics Collective, a group of undergraduate students dedicated to the quantitative and statistical analysis of sports. We break down the numbers and advanced metrics behind all your favorite teams and players, trying to bring useful insights to the game. I'm David Arco, a sophomore at Harvard College, and today I am lucky to be joined by two great guests and fellow HSAC members, Shiv Chandra and Elliot Chin. Shiv is a sophomore studying economics. He has written articles ranking the best quarterbacks, wide receivers, and running backs of the last four decades, and he is a fantasy football junkie as well as a New England Patriots fan. Elliot is a freshman studying statistics. He has written articles about running back utilization and efficiency throughout the league and how teams can better employ schemes for their backs and where to rush the ball. He is a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. On this episode, we will be discussing some of the big narratives of the 2021 NFL season so far and our predictions for what the rest of the season and the playoff picture might look like. As of recording this, we are heading into week 15 of the NFL season, and which is not usually what it means as every team still has four games left to play as the NFL expanded to a 17-game season this year for the first time in history. As a result, plenty is still up in the air as many teams are in the wildcard hunt and none have officially clinched their playoff spots yet. Beginning with last season, now seven teams make the playoffs with only one first-round bye up for grabs for the number one seed in each conference. Right now, in the AFC, the current seeds would be, starting with number one, the New England Patriots, the Titans, followed by the Chiefs, the Ravens, and then the three wildcard teams would be the Chargers, the Colts, and the Bills, and the Browns, the Bengals, and Broncos are all on the fringe looking in on the wildcard. And in the NFC, the Cardinals would be the number one seed, followed by the Packers, the Buccaneers, and the Cowboys. And the three wildcard teams would be the 49ers, the Rams, and the Redskins, with the Vikings, Eagles, Falcons, and Saints all on the outside. And now that we're up to date with, you know, the standings of the season, let's jump right into our discussion. So kind of starting from a a season-wide perspective, a league-wide perspective, just a general question to kind of launch into our discussion is, what would you guys say has been different about the 2021 NFL season? than in years past. Like, I guess if you had to give a defining characteristic or two, what makes this season different? I would say main characteristic of the 2020 season has just been a massive amount of parity we've seen between teams, especially in the AFC. We see that there's so many playoff contenders and, and teams that have a reasonable chance of actually making playoffs. In addition to the fact that some of the, the strongest contenders coming out of the gate, like the Chiefs and the Bills, have faded a little bit in still have a good chance of making playoffs, but are not necessarily living up to expectations. This means you have a lot of other teams that are either on the cusp of making it, on the outside looking in, or just about in that range where they could feasibly make playoffs if they play well down the stretch. I think that makes the season a lot more exciting. It also makes statistics and insights just a lot more important because you don't really have clear favorites going into the Super Bowl from the AFC. So there's a lot more room for nuance in analytics. I completely agree. I was going to say every really good team right now has had like just like a brutally awful loss. The Bills lost to the Jags. The Rams have had awful losses. I would say the two teams that right now are haven't had awful losses are basically only the Cardinals, kind of, and the Patriots in the past about seven weeks. Um, but other than that, every team has had an awful loss. And like you said, especially uh, in the AFC, there's no real clear favorite right now. And I would say the other big thing is home field advantage doesn't seem to really be an advantage this year. 
I remember about halfway through the season, I think the stat was that there was more road teams had beaten home teams. And I'm not sure what it is right now, but it's like close to 50-50, if not more road teams, which is kind of counterintuitive considering fans are coming back from COVID and everything. I think that's just in general uh, adds more to the kind of parody thing of every game is more of a toss-up than it has been in the past. And it shows like how close NFL teams actually are to each other, uh, even though we think like the Texans are just awful and the Rams are incredible. The Texans can beat the Rams on a given week if they're having a good week and the Rams are having a bad one. Yeah, this home field advantage point is really interesting. I'd be interested in looking into it more statistically to see if it's something that's expected in the, in the natural variance. Because really the sample size of just a couple hundred games is, is not too huge to see outliers in any given year in terms of home field advantage playing a smaller than usual role or larger than usual role. So it'd be interesting in seeing what the probability is given the usual home field advantage for us to be seeing the type of results that we see now. Um, also, one interesting thing about home field advantage is I think that if it is less of a factor this year, that would actually be a reason that we would see less parity because then we would expect the better team to win more often. That's kind of a conflict in the home field advantage statistics that we see and the statistics in terms of win rates that we see. That would be another interesting thing to uh, reconcile analytically. Yeah, I think uh, interesting about the home field advantage is that I think it differs also by stadium. So some teams might experience home field advantage more so than others. You think of, you know, the Broncos in the high altitude or the Packers in the winter and, and the, or the Patriots super cold climate when a visiting team comes. Football probably has the, not necessarily the degree of home field advantage the most, but it has those kind of polarizing specific sites where home field advantage is most accentuated, I guess, like the examples that I mentioned, like in the NBA, the stadiums are kind of all the same and MLB, the ballparks have different dimensions and things like that, but that quite doesn't play as much of a factor as in football. And I just want to push back a little bit about the parity point or about some of the things you guys brought up. I agree that there is parity in the AFC and that there's kind of no emergent dominant team, but I think something this year that's been blown out of proportion is what Shiv brought up, like kind of the media has made a big deal about these really good teams losing to bad teams, but maybe it seems like this year it's happening more and more often. But if a team, let's say, is like an 80% favor, that's a pretty heavy favorite against another team. It shouldn't be surprising that, say in a given week, there are 10 teams that are 80% favorites. It shouldn't be surprising that two of those teams lose because that's what the 80% favorite means. So then in any given week, there's going to be a team or two that has a really bad loss. And then you'll see the people go on, you know, the ESPN, all these shows, and they'll make a big deal about it. And they'll rant about how this team is not as good as we thought they were because they had this really terrible loss. And then they make a big deal about it. And then the next week they come back and they win. Like one example that's coming to my mind is because I'm a Jets fan, the, the Titans lost to the Jets in week four, ever made a big deal about it. And then after that, they rattle off a six game winning streak. I think they beat the Bills, the Chiefs, the Colts and the Rams in that streak. And those are all really good playoff teams. So it kind of shows you that people tend to make too much of a big deal about one game, especially in football, because it's a much smaller season. Granted, that's how you know you have to fill the time and make make storylines. But I think there was definitely this year kind of got a little bit blown out of proportion. But yeah, that's my little rant about sports media overblowing certain games. That's a good point. But uh, the other thing I was going to say is this is super random. But when you were talking about how home field advantage is different. I heard someone float an idea about making NFL stadiums similar to MLB stadiums where each team gets to decide how wide their field goal posts are. 
if you have like Justin Tucker, you just make that thing like five yards across and you're just like, no one else is going to score a field goal on us. But if you're like any poverty team in the NFL who has just like an awful kicker and, and you know, you just make it massive and just like say that you're going to get a field goal every time, but they are too. But yeah, no, I just thought that was a hilarious thing that would actually be like really interesting to see like which teams like and how much they would change it. David, I want to, I want to briefly mention your point about uh, media blowing bad losses out of proportion this year. I think one reason that might be happening is I think the storylines of the worst teams are very conducive to them being portrayed as bad this year, perhaps more so than past years. With the, the Lions, there's the whole Jared Goff storyline. Jaguars, there's everything with Urban Meyer. The Texans, there's everything with Deshaun Watson. So we went into this season kind of expecting all these teams to be bad, which means the media and just sports culture in general has thinking that these teams are going to suck for multiple months now, even before the season started. So once the season started and they started losing, it was expected. And that's why it was such a surprise on the off chance any given Sunday when they do start beating these good teams. Yeah, those are all good points. And I think now that we've kind of talked about the season at like a league-wide level, now we can kind of get into some specific teams and things like that. So at this point of the season, I guess, first, what teams have underachieved expectations this year for you guys? I think the biggest one for me to start, and, and this isn't a crazy take, is the Browns. I think early in the season, preseason, it was like, okay, Browns have like top five talent in the NFL They've got all the pieces together now. As long as Baker's not like absolutely garbage, they can probably be in the Super Bowl contention tier. And I kind of bought into that a little bit, maybe not as much as, as some people, but like I really bought into that in terms of just like their talent, both on defense and on offense, is pretty elite. And it's not like they have a bad coach. I thought Baker was like Jared Goff level when they took the Rams to the Super Bowl type deal with a very talented team around him. He did enough for them to, to get there. And I, I would say Baker's definitely better than Jared Goff. But yeah, I think that's, that's really surprising. I know they've had a lot of injuries, so that's probably part of it. But I don't think they've had, especially back half of the season, like any real dominant games. And I would say that right now they're clawing for a playoff spot in a, in a very crowded AFC North. Yeah, I agree. I, I am of the opinion that I think the Browns will make it in once all is said and done. They definitely did expect more of them this year. I mean, they're a team with so many star players, and they just can't really seem to fit together in a way that consistently wins them games. They're always struggling with one issue or another. In this recent Ravens games, first half looked like they had it put together, then they allowed the Ravens back into the game and being super close, and they barely came out of the head. I think those are just the types of games that the Browns need to be winning more consistently. Because when they get into these games that, that end on one possession, Really, it becomes a toss-up. And the Browns, uh, with the strength in terms of personnel that they have, really should not be getting um, into those positions in the first place. Uh, shifting over from the AFC to the NFC, one of the teams that I'm most disappointed with this year is actually the Seahawks. Almost every year, we consider the Seahawks to be a perennial contender just because of Russell Wilson. Um, and we expect them to be good. But now we're, what we're seeing is that Russell Wilson really can't do it all by himself. And when he's injured, the Seahawks really don't have anyone to turn to. Despite their, you know, their talent wide receiver with Lockett and Metcalf, Carson are running back. They have what seems like it should be a, a fairly strong offense, um, although they need some work on defense. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not really fitting together. And I think the biggest component of it not fitting together is Jamal Adams, um, who's just been an atrocious 
trade. They gave up so much assets for him. If he's not putting up the stats and winning them games, um, that trade really was not worth it. I think overall, because of that, it's kind of been an, uh, a disappointing season for the Seahawks. And they really have not achieved what I expect, I've come to expect from them year after year. As a Jets fan, I appreciate the Jamal Adams trade. That's kind of the one good thing that's come. And we have a lot of picks, especially heading into this year's draft if the Seahawks continue to be bad. But yeah, also I had on my list the Browns and the Seahawks. I just checked at the beginning of the season, 538 had them as, so the Browns had the seventh highest odds to win the Super Bowl and the Seahawks had the eighth. They each had about 5% chance of winning the Super Bowl. And now the Browns have a, uh, they only have a 40% chance to make the playoffs. This is according to 538, obviously. And then uh, the Seahawks are at 4%. So they're basically done. And they're on their way to their first, I think, losing record since 2011. First losing record in Russell Wilson's career. And both of them have kind of a lot of, as with any team that has high expectations and then underperforms, a lot of question marks heading into the offseason. The Browns, will they extend Baker Mayfield? Is Russell Wilson going to stay with the Seahawks? Or are they going to kind of try and bring in more talent around him will Pete Carroll get fired things like that but yeah for me I was going to say the Bills but it's kind of a mixed bag with them because they still are really good on paper the under seven and six record wise but the underlying metrics are really good Josh Allen's still having a really good year I think he's fourth overall in quarterback ELO third in EPA the offense ranks seventh in EPA and the defense I think is number one in the league in EPA so it's weird that they're only seven and six and I saw like a tweet yesterday that out of their six losses, five of them have been by one score game. So they've kind of had some bad luck. So I think that while they haven't underperformed record wise, they have underperformed, but I think they're still a very good team and probably the strongest AFC wild card team. I wonder about the bills. I wonder if having a strong defense makes these kind of one score games less common. I mean, more common and less random. And I still, I still agree that the bills have in general been unlucky because one score games are definitely I'm a good indicator of how lucky a team has been. Just score differential in general is good at predicting that. I'm curious if having a, a strong defense and a weaker offense correlates to lower scoring games. And thus, if the one score difference in terms of the score differential then plays a smaller role because you would theoretically expect teams with strong defenses and weak offenses to get into a lot of situations where they're able to hold the opponents maybe only like two or three scores. can only get in one or two scores themselves. Bill's Patriots games comes top of mind for me because that's a game that was quite close. But when you look at the statistics and circumstances of the game, the low scoring nature is kind of what was expected as was the one score differential at the end. Yeah, uh, just looking at it, actually the Patriots have the number one net points in the NFL right now and the Bills have number two, which that might be virtue of playing the Jets a couple of times. <laughs> But no, it, that's pretty significant. To your point, the Bills' defense was way better in the beginning of the season. In the past few games, I think Tredavious White being injured really, really hurts them. And I think also teams have started to realize that their strength is in their pass defense, not in their rush defense. As we saw against the Patriots, uh, I know that a lot of that was based off of weather, but that's kind of the formula from now on against the Bills. Like The Colts kind of did it with Jonathan Taylor which obviously they have a really strong front and Jonathan Taylor. I think that's the, that's a formula for any team in the AFC that can really run on, run on teams against the Titans, against, against the bills, even more so that just like, they really like, they can't stop anything on defense against the run. So, which also could lead to more faster gameplay and 
could lead to part of the reason that they have like closer games uh, because there's less just possessions. Because I, I know that the Patriots-Bills game went by really fast because the Patriots threw like three times. So there was zero incompletions or one incompletion by the Patriots. So the game was like less than two and a half hours or something. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think it would be interesting to see um, or create some sort of aggregate metric that takes into account the circumstance of the game. So how often the clock has stopped, how often teams use run plays, and also just how strong the defenses are. Create some sort of qualifying metric for those one-score games. Um, because just the idea of having a one-score game in and of itself doesn't imply too much about whether the game was decided more on luck or whether it was actually a blowout or not a blowout, but it was a very decisive game that just ended up having a very close score. Yeah. I know there's some metric. I will find it and maybe find it during this episode or some other point. There's a metric that measures how aggressive a team is at running or passing on like a neutral, on a neutral down or like a first, like how much more aggressive they pass or run and it controls for situations and all that stuff. Anyway, so yeah, we talked about teams that underachieved. Now we can talk about on the opposite side. What are some teams that have overachieved uh, expectations this year? Teams that are you most surprised with? I'll leave someone else to talk about the Patriots because I could talk about them all day. I would say actually the Bengals. The Bengals are right now, you know, just neck and neck with uh, with the Browns and almost with the Ravens for division lead. And I think Joe Burrow has been playing really, really good football. I, even though they had a they had a rough loss to the um, the Chargers. Uh, I saw a lot of things of like, there was a couple drop balls, a couple big plays that, that didn't happen. And overall in that game, Joe Burrow might've played better than uh, Justin Herbert. And he's kind of good at like dissecting defenses, um, moving around in the pocket. Doesn't need like bootleg games and like there is in college, like a, a lot of, a lot of like movement. He can really just pick apart a defense from the pocket. So their whole team overall, I think their defense has been improved. Their offensive line is still definitely their uh, kryptonite right now. They've been able to overcome it with Jamar Chase, like uh, up there for uh, offensive rookie of the year right now. I think definitely, even though you know Mac is probably going to take that because he's a quarterback. Jamar Chase is having a pretty ridiculous season as a wide receiver. Yeah, I agree that the Bengals have definitely, I think, exceeded expectations. And as Jamar Chase gains more experience, I think the Bengals will also gradually improve over the duration of this season. I know. Um, a game or two ago, Jamar Chase, and I think uh, also Mixon as well, had some pretty substantial drops, probably with the change in the outcome of the game. It's definitely a situation where I think as Jamar Chase develops as a rookie, and Burrow, of course, is, is still developing, even though it's, um, I believe, his second season, they'll continue to improve and definitely do have a good shot at uh, making a run in playoffs. Uh, a kind of outside team that I think has overachieved, even though they're, they're not doing great this season, is actually the Eagles. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised by how Jalen Hurts has been performing going into the season and based on his play last year, that he would pretty much be complete bust. He definitely has not been playing lights out or really anything close to it this season, but he's shown a lot of flashes of talent, um, which I think bode well for the Eagles organization um, because they have a player who they can potentially um, look towards development in the future. That's the route that they want to go. The other thing is during the rest of the season, they play the Washington football team twice um, which is a playoff contender who pretty much neck and neck with. They play the Giants once, I believe, as well. The rest of their season tends to be easier than the other contenders in the NFC. I think that bodes well for how the rest of their season might go. So I, I believe the Eagles have a stronger than expected outside shot at the playoffs, um, even though they were one of the teams that were just being written off at the beginning of the season. That's a really interesting take. Typically, when we think of teams that are overachieving, we're thinking of teams that are in the playoffs. 
the Bengals and the the Eagles are not in right now, and neither are the Bengals. They're both fringe playoff teams, but like you said, could could make it. Like Shiv mentioned earlier, obviously, I think the Patriots are a team that's kind of overperformed. Maybe potentially could have been a wild card team, but we definitely were not expecting it. They have the number one seed right now. So that's definitely something that's surprising. If I were gonna invest, we'll talk, we'll get this a little bit later. I would short the Patriots right now. Well, even though they seem very well rounded, it's just hard to put confidence in a rookie quarterback who doesn't seem to be as talented, but is doing very well. But and then also obviously I think the Cardinals, in terms of actual like outperforming their original odds, Vegas wise, projection wise, they have outperformed the record by the most. They're currently the best record in the league. They have a huge game tonight against the Rams on uh, Monday night football, where if they lose, they would lose the number one seed, but um, right now they have the best record in the league and they have the highest odds according to 538 at 16%, but then Vegas puts them fourth overall, which is a little interesting why there's this discrepancy, but yeah, I think they're a really good, well-rounded team also. Yeah. And I, I think it, it actually, it definitely has been a huge surprise about how much they've overachieved this season. I remember thinking during the off season about all, all these signings that they were making um, signing players who were good but not great at contract prices that were quite high. I remember they signed a couple tight ends, Kendrick Bourne from the Niners, a bunch of solid role players who don't necessarily have what it takes to transform a team. But I think that is also a testament to how well Bill Belichick knows the sport because the, the Patriots did start out in the beginning of the season with quite a few losses. They've clawed their way back, gone on an impressive run since then. I think it's because the team has gelled together so well under Belichick. He's taken together a collection of players who are not star players, um, but they're all good, but not great individually and it made a very cohesive team out of them. Yeah. I think when we were doing this discussion, I realized that, so we had, we talked about the teams that underperformed teams that have overachieved now. And then there's also the teams that, you know, just meet their expectations. And I think the common theme that's emerged is for the teams that under have achieved there's kind of these quarterbacks who are kind of middling around have been around for a long time we're kind of expecting something from them but they're not baker mayfield i don't know russell wilson's had a kind of a mess season he's been injured kind of those examples then the teams that have overachieved are these kind of younger quarterbacks who have taken that next step up or quarterbacks who weren't expecting to be as good the Bengals, joe burrow the eagles jalen hurts the cardinals Kyler murray's having his best season ever patriots rookie quarterback mac jones and then the teams that are you know good and they're supposed to be good are these quarterbacks that have either been around or just have been consistently good. The Chiefs, Patrick Worm's having a down year, but he's still proven himself. Aaron Rodgers, the Packers, Tom Brady, the Bucks. So it's kind of everything centers around the quarterback a little bit, but granted some teams conform to that more so than others. But that was just something I realized when we were talking about the kind of three different types of teams. Yeah, that's a great point. And I wonder if it correlates at all with either the math of contracts behind quarterbacks or just with the NFL defenses figuring out how to better defend the quarterback. Because we do often see these scenarios where young quarterbacks have a meteoric rise, like Kyler Murray, um, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, play incredibly well in the first year where they rise to stardom. And then the next few years, they continue playing well. But after, you know, after one year for Lamar, after two years for Mahomes, um, they decline a little bit to a point where they're still great quarterbacks. Um, but they're not really perennial contenders. You don't think of them as, as being the best teams in the league. Um, in a way that maybe we would think of Brady. So I wonder if this is because perhaps um, you have to sign these quarterbacks to longer contracts and um, a home $700 million deal, or if it's just NFL defenses figure out these young quarterbacks and they regress to a point where um, they're still quite solid, but they just, they don't have that stardom that they once had. 
I'd push back on that a little bit because I think the NFL is very moment-based um, and storyline-based. I think like every year there's like one player that they're like, oh my God, this is like the next coming of, of like Tom Brady or whatever, the next GOAT. And, you know, people were saying a couple of years ago, like has Patrick Mahomes like already in the conversation for GOAT with Brady? And it was like obviously ridiculous then, but like looking back on it now, it's even more ridiculous. But Lamar Jackson, I saw a stat that like halfway through the season, he had better statistics and was more efficient than his MVP season and was literally carrying the team on his back because we'll talk about this later. The Ravens are horribly inept at adapting throughout the season. And also they kind of are like, we have a, I think this also happens with a lot of players, kind of happened with the Patriots a little bit, even along its run of like, wow, we have a star player on offense and we have this like incredible quarterback. We don't need to put resources into that. We can just, they'll be fine and the offense will be fine because they're running it and we're just going to put resources other places. And I think that kind of falls to a detriment. So like even the Chiefs, for example, you know, Patrick Mahomes is still incredible, but he had outside of just Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, he had Sammy Watkins and he had Pringle and he had a couple like uh, Hardman, who he still has Hardman, but who's regressed a little bit this year. Um, I think like Sammy Watkins was that reliable third option that can beat a third corner on a team. Um, and right now they don't have anyone outside of Hill and Kelsey who can like make a consistent impact on that team. And people had been saying since preseason, they need a third option. And the Chiefs were like, yeah, Patrick Mahomes will be fine. Similarly to, I think, uh, Josh Allen. I saw a lot of places saying that, imagine if the Bills had signed OBJ for the vet minimum. Right now, their offense is zero run game, fully dependent on Josh Allen just doing everything with his legs and his arms and just being an absolute ridiculous human being. I mean, the dude was throwing like, 40-yard dimes in, like, 35-mile-an-hour wins. And it was thrown so well that it literally hit Sammy Watkins when he didn't even see where the ball was, <laughs> like, in the end zone. But, like, he's absurd, but, like, he still can't carry a team completely by himself on offense. I mean, he's their best runner right now, and also the only person he has to really throw to is Diggs. I mean, who else outside of Diggs does he have to throw to? I mean, Cole Beasley is not exactly a bona fide number two receiver. So yeah, I think I think that's that could be part of it also. Yeah, I think we're kind of getting into it, but that's a good segue into our next question. So we talked about team level teams that have overperformed, underperformed. Now, I guess on a player level, I guess we'll kind of just combine this into one question. So so what are some players that have been most impressive this season? And then also players that have been kind of underwhelming with their performance. Yeah, so I think on the offensive side, some of the rookies such as Devonta Smith and Jamar Chase have really had me impressed. Um, with how fast they've integrated into their offenses and the stat lines they've been putting up. To Shiv's point, I think wide receivers are a, a crucial and often very underrated part of offenses. You know, after the trenches and the quarterback, they're far, far more important than running back. Having rookie wide receivers who can make an impact like Smith and Chase has been great for their teams. I'm just realizing now that those are actually the rookie receivers who correlate. Uh, with the teams that we mentioned as overachieving. So I think they've definitely been helping their young quarterbacks out. And there's kind of been a, a connection developing there. Yeah, I think both of them, well, I guess while Jalen Hurst wasn't, I don't know if he was there when Devontae was there, but Alabama, Alabama, LSU, LSU, kind of the college, the professional connection and both rival teams. I think rookies have a lot of ability to impress because there's kind of lower expectations. 
for me, I mean, Jonathan Taylor is also another kind of player that's probably been the best running back of the season. I mean, because Derrick Henry's been injured, but Jonathan Taylor would be the best running back. Kyler Murray's also been very impressive. He's kind of shown that he's a top 10 quarterback in the league and worthy of a big contract. Also, obviously, Tom Brady. I'm sure Shiv can talk about that for a while. And then also some receivers are like Cooper Cup, who's kind of emerged as like a really good number one receiver. I have him on my fantasy team and he was kind of much better than expected. And then, yeah, those are my main guys for who have been um, most impressive. Yeah, I think um, I completely agree with all of those. I think Brady is really uh, overachieving. In, in a season where there's no like crazy standout MVP candidate right now, it's still kind of a little bit up in the air. I think the storyline of Brady being 44 years old and still potentially, I mean, he's leading the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns right now, which is just like absurd. You know, Matt Stafford has like a crazy last five, six games, of the, uh, four or five games of the season. But uh, I, I think it's pretty likely that's going to go to Brady. But I would say uh, on the defensive side, Michael Parsons just been crazy. The guy has 12 sacks playing a position that he played like, I think it was something like, 15 snaps in all of college he played at defensive end he always played at like linebacker and it's not even just the sacks I mean he's just like completely screwing up games for offenses I think he's like right now probably in the argument for defensive player of the year as a rookie not even actually in the argument I would say like probably top three candidate right now another one that could be in the argument uh, is Matt Judon Elliot mentioned how like the Patriots signed a lot of not super name brand players, not like players that you're like, oh, wow, this is going to take a not great team to the to the Super Bowl. But he's actually probably, I would say, been the, the best free agent signing of the year across the league. He has, I, I think, 11 and a half sacks right now and has just been similar to Michael Parsons, like screwing up the game for offenses in a lot of ways, you know, dropping into passing lanes, rushing the passer, stopping the run everything. I think he also just brought a lot of uh, energy and attention away from some of the other, the other guys on, on our defensive line, the Patriot Stevens of line, which has really just helped in general with our, our pass rush and our run blocking uh, run uh, game and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess on the flip side, what do you guys have been some players that have kind of been, you are underwhelmed with unimpressed with. I've been pretty underwhelmed by Trevor Lawrence. Again, as a rookie, it's pretty easy to jump to conclusions. Uh, but Lawrence is just, you know, every week throwing picks um, and not really not living up to the hype. So I think it's definitely a testament to the power the media has over um, expectations because we do just statistically, if you look at the analytics, there's so much variance in rookie quarterbacks that it's probably something that we should have expected in terms of Trevor Lawrence having a, a decent chance of, of not pinning out in his first year. And of course, that can and probably will change. It probably will improve as the season and as the years progress. But especially with the media narrative painting him just as I'm a generational prospect, I think I and most fans expected a lot more out of him um, than what he's what he's been showing for the Jaguars this far. Yeah, I agree. I had a I had a category called rookie quarterbacks all besides Mac Jones. So Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields. So any any rookie, well, there's other rookie quarterbacks, but those are kind of the big four that came out of the draft. Um, yeah, and the problem is it's hard to tell because they, those three, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, arguably went into probably bottom five scenarios team-wise and 
coaching wise, front office wise. So it's hard to tell how much is on them and how much is on the team, but obviously concerning the hype, you're expecting them to kind of perform and show some signs of progress. But personally, I can speak to the Zach Wilson one more so, and uh, it's a little bit depressing situation there because it's kind of like deja vu all over again with Sam Darnold. But we will see. We're not giving up yet. And then also I had Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley, who are both kind of running backs who have kind of had these amazing first couple of years of their career. They're, I think, both one year apart and then kind of now just like lingered by injuries and who knows how much they can really like again they're these outstanding players who the best at their positions in the last three years but at the end of the day their teams aren't winning they're injured and how like is it even worth it's, it's kind of just showing how important is a running back and how much can you really trust them with all the injuries and things like that so yeah i think that the last point on running backs is super key because also barkley even when he has not been injured the past few years Except for really his rookie year, he he's kind of been um, underperforming every year. Christian McCaffrey, of course, is a, a whole different story. But I think you see both uh, on the underachieving and the overachieving side. What the stats show is that running backs don't really matter that much. And the, the medium narratives that end up being painted about running backs end up being a little contradictory. And I think a prime example of that is Leonard Fournette, who's just been tearing it up. I'm on the Bucks, having like games with hundreds of yards and, and uh, touchdowns. And what we see is that over the past few years, the narrative around Leonard Fournette has really been pretty negative, except for his first year on the Jaguars. He's had suspensions and kind of run-ins with the league. I think he's pretty much chronically portrayed and has been portrayed as a little washed up, not the hardest worker. And then he goes to the Bucks and starts doing really well. And all of a sudden, all the portrayals of Leonard Fournette is that he's this star running back. And really, I think nothing has really changed over the course of him going being good on the Jags to being bad, bouncing around a little bit and then ending up on the Bucks and having a sort of resurgence. He's always been a running back who is not a generational talent, but very good. Just the situation has changed very much. The Jaguars have uh, oscillated so much between being good and now being really bad. And then the situation on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a team that is winning that much is really a dream come true for any running back. This idea of running backs overachieving and, and underachieving um, is really a little overblown because so much of it depends on the situation. Going off of both of your guys' points, I think situation in general, we don't take into account enough. I mean, I know we want to put, like, players on these pedestals as fans to be like, you know, Saquon Barkley is going to be the next Barry Sanders or, like, Trevor Lawrence is going to be going to be the next Tom Brady. I, I think where you land as your first, second, third years in the NFL really completely alter your trajectory as a uh, – as a player, I mean, and, and it kind of makes sense that going into the draft, the top 10 players go to the worst 10 teams. I think it just worked out really, really well for Mac Jones that he ended up falling to the Patriots because I think if Trevor Lawrence was on the Patriots this season, they'd probably be doing as well, if not better. I mean, like, I, I know Mac is probably more pro-ready. He's better at dissecting defenses, but, like, he doesn't have nearly the same arm, athletic ability, running aspect as Trevor Lawrence and just similarly like you said about Fournette I think the same can be said about Saquon if he was put on a team similar to the Bucks that has like a great offensive line I mean we we can uh, we can talk about this a little bit more later but I think uh, the Bucks offensive line is probably the best unit in football right now in terms of trenches offensive or defensive line for any team I think the Bucks consistently protect Brady why he's probably having an MVP season. 
and run block for Fournette to where he's, uh, I would say, probably, I mean, in fantasy right now, I think he's a top five projected for the rest of the season running back because he's turned into an all-around receiving and running back. Sorry to get off track a little bit there, but getting back to players that are underachieving this season, uh, I'd also like to bring up a defensive player for this is Tremaine Edmonds, linebacker for the Bills. He was kind of super heavily touted as like the Bills got him as like a Gronk stopper when he came out and like then became like, you know, we got to use him to stop like Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews and all these AFC really good tight ends. And he, he I mean, he got burned the other day by, or I guess it was last night by Perryman for that, for that last touchdown. But he's been really underperforming. They were hoping to, for him to be kind of part of an anchor of their defense when they drafted him. And he really, I think, is part of the reason that that front seven is is really underperforming. And and without Tredavious White, you're seeing that their safety is poor and, and Micah Hyde can't really just hold up that whole defense. And then on offense, Mike Davis for uh, Atlanta, which is kind of a little bit more of an under-the-radar one, he was kind of, he came in for Christian McCaffrey last year for the Panthers, and everyone thought that he, he I mean, he did relatively well. And, you know, Atlanta kind of paid him as you're going to be our starting running back. But he, he's really barely in the rotation right now. Um, another one is Leo Jones. The Titans brought him over thinking that he was going to be a crazy tandem with uh, A.J. Brown. Both of them have kind of underperformed this season. Tannehill's really underperformed this season in general. And then lastly, Allen Robinson. I know that obviously he's, uh, he's working with just an awful team there. And kind of shocking that he hasn't forced his way out more. But I think if he was on... 25 other teams in the NFL, he'd be a top 10 wide receiver. And right now he's like, I think wide receiver, like 50 in fantasy, which is just insane. Yeah. Briefly on Ship's point about situation. I, I think what team you're on is so important. If we look to the Mike Davis scenario, basically his replacement has been Cordell Patterson, who's just had a huge resurgence this year. Um, and he's been in the league for, I think nearly a decade. So it's just such an amazing success story that this is the year when he's finally put up the numbers and began scoring so many touchdowns. And I think what it indicates is not that he all of a sudden, as like a 30-year-old, became really good at football. It just shows that throughout most of his career, teams have not found out how to effectively use him other than as a kick returner. And now that the Falcons have found out how to unlock his full potential, he is showing that he is actually a very competent football player. This is something that we don't see a lot in the NFL, just because people aren't really often given the chance after one or more bad situations, unless they're top draft pick like Josh Rosen. We don't really see teams investing very much in these players who haven't proven themselves to be very good, unless they have to. I'm like, the Falcons beyond Davis really didn't have anyone else. They started giving for the Patterson, and he showed that he really had the potential. I mean, that's why, I mean, situation is so important. You've also mentioned Micah Parsons, linebackers, and, and just Defensive players in general as rookies are like notoriously hard to develop. The Cowboys have found out how to use Parsons well. They've also found out how to use Trevon Diggs well, who hasn't been a great cornerback. He's letting up tons of yards in addition to his interceptions, but they found out the play style that does work for him. Um, and I think that just shows how important this type of player development is. Now, the Cowboys have found out how to effectively leverage their defensive rookies compared to, you know, the analog for Parsons might be Isaiah Simmons from last year on the Cardinals a linebacker who can do it all, but that doesn't necessarily translate well into the NFL unless you have a very effective way of developing these players. I'm going to wrap this up and move on to the next question, but I think interesting questions you brought up. Elliot brought up at the end, kind of like 
how long do you need to figure out if a player is good enough? How much do you need to like put him in with different teams or how long do you need to wait to say, is this guy good? Is this guy not good? And it's probably different for different positions. And then also the other question I think Shiv brought up is kind of like, what's the variation in year to year performance? And it probably varies. Like it'd be interesting to see how it varies by, by position. Like do quarterbacks have more, are they more consistently easy to predict their performance from year to year? Are running backs kind of more up and down? It seems like running backs tend to have a lot more up and down years. Um, kind of just looking position by position, how easy is it to predict a player's performance? These are all just interesting questions and kind of just throwing them out, some of the trends and things that we talk about. But I think now we can get kind of moving towards the end of our discussion, kind of looking forward towards the rest of the season. So we have a pretty good idea of what the playoff picture is going to look like, but there's still some teams that might sneak in or might fall out. We still have four weeks left in the season. So yeah, I guess what teams are you selling in terms of I don't know, selling stock and which ones are you buying heading into the playoffs? So as of now, there are only two new teams in the AFC compared to last season, the Patriots and the Chargers taking place of the Steelers and the Browns. And the NFC, there are three new teams with the Cardinals, Cowboys, and 49ers taking the place of the Saints, the Seahawks, and the Bears. So what teams are you, I guess, buying heading into the playoffs and what are you selling? And these probably shouldn't be teams that are kind of heavily favored, but kind of more teams on the cusp. Which teams do you think will either sneak into the playoffs, which teams will fall out, and which teams do you think that are maybe at the fringe might rise up to a higher seed right now? Yeah, I think I think the Bengals, AFC North is kind of a crapshoot right now. All of them have really, really tough ends of the season. Whoever wins that division could win it with nine wins and, and eight losses. Right now they're ninth, so they're two spots out of the playoffs right now. They could easily make it in. They could easily even win the division. Another team that could sneak in is the Raiders. They're six and seven right now. I know they just had a bad, bad loss to the uh, to the Chiefs. But just in general, this whole season, I think it's going to come down to either them or the Chargers are going to have a very good end of the season. I think it's going to be the Chargers, but I also think that people are discounting how good the Raiders were early in the season. Josh Jacobs has turn into a, a much better all-around running back than he was earlier in the season even. And their defense has slowed down a little bit, but uh, they've got both their games against the Chiefs out of the way. And I think that division is going to be interesting of who's the second team that comes out of that. Right now it's the Chargers, but uh, it could end up being the uh, Raiders. A big team I'm selling on the AFC side is actually the Colts. The rest of the schedule this year, pretty difficult for them. Uh, apart from an easy week, match against the Jaguars. They have to play the Patriots, the Cardinals, and the Raiders. I think at least in, in two of those, they'll be pretty significant underdogs. There's so much parity in, in the AFC that I can easily see them dropping out. Actually, I'm mean, a fan of the Browns to leapfrog them and get in. Perhaps that's a little bit of, of just room for the Browns because they've been so perennially bad. But I think they do have all the pieces, especially with getting OBJ out of there, put it together, make a deep playoff run. We were talking earlier about how they've, they've kind of been underperforming, but I, I can't see that turning around. Earlier in the game against the Ravens this Sunday, they actually were playing quite well, and it showed a lot of flashes of, of potential for, for a deeper playoff run. On the, on the NFC side of things, I mentioned this a little bit before, but I actually think the Eagles will get in over the Washington football team. I think that's because they have two more divisional matchups to play, and the rest of their season actually all against the NFC East which means they have a lot of potential to win games that are super important. And because they're winning games directly against the people, the Eagles would be winning games directly against the teams 
um, that they would be supplanting in the playoffs. So I think the Eagles will be able to take over from the Washington football team. Tyler Hanaki has not really been playing too great recently. He's been throwing interceptions pretty much in, in every recent game. Because of that, if the Eagles can pull out a couple of wins, that'll situation that'll put them in uh, in a very good situation. Shim brought up a good point about the I think the AFC North being so crowded. I just looked up like the NFL remaining strength of schedule, and this is probably because they play each other. But all four teams in the AFC North are in the top seven remaining strength of schedule. The Steelers have the second hardest left. Ravens have the third. Bengals have the fifth, and the Browns have the seventh. So I don't know how confident I am in a team to emerge outside of the division winner because they might all cannibalize themselves or one team could rise to the top. So I think the Ravens will win that division. And then between the Browns and the Bengals, I'm a little more confident in the Browns. And I also think the Chargers are, I'm buying the Chargers. They'll probably make the playoffs and I'm buying kind of their stock um, as a team in the AFC. And then in the NFC, in terms of the wild card positions, confident in the Rams, they have this really tough division with, I guess, the Cardinals and also the 49ers. So I think the Rams, the 49ers will also get in. And then Elliot brought up a good point about the Eagles. I think it'll be either the Eagles or the Redskins. So they have, I think, two games left against each other. So one spot will be reserved for them. So those are kind of the three teams that I have in the NFC. I said, yeah, the Rams, the 49ers, and then the Redskins or Eagles. That's kind of a cop-out choosing between the two. Yeah, this might be a hot take. I don't think the Ravens are going to end up winning the division because I know that that right now they're fourth in the AFC and they're atop the division, but they play first Green Bay, which I think is a loss for them, at Cincinnati, which I think could be definitely a loss for them. I think the Marlon Humphrey loss for them is huge because they, Marlon Humphrey, they kind of use him uh, the same way that the Jets used to use Darrell Rebus in terms of throw him on one half of the field and just shut down that one half of the field and, you know, you play with the other half. And then against the Rams, I think in three games, the Rams will be into playoff form and clicking again. And I think this past win, and I think they're going to win tonight against the Cardinals. I, I think that'll uh, boost their confidence and get them going for a playoff run. And then first Pittsburgh, which like, you know, I think Pittsburgh would love nothing more than last game of the season, even if they're out of it to spoil the Ravens chance of getting into the playoffs. <laughs> so I think like they genuinely could lose three of their next four games. So uh, I think like the Bengals could overtake them. They're at Denver versus Baltimore and then uh, finish against Cleveland. So yeah, it's just my kind of hot take. Yeah, I just checked 530 and of all the current, so there's eight division leaders right now in the AFC and NFC, the Ravens have the lowest odds to win their division and they're like 55% according to 538. The Chiefs are at 60 and then all the other six division leaders are all above 80%. So they're all pretty likely. So those, the AFC West and it seems like the AFC North are like the two tightest divisional races um, to watch down the stretch. But yeah, I guess that kind of segues. We talked about kind of teams on the fringe and now we'll talk about the, you know, the heavy favorites, uh, our last question to kind of wrap up this episode. So it's obviously still early to decide because things can still change with seating. Some teams might get in, some teams might dip out, but what would be your early picks for a Super Bowl matchup? So who's going to come out of the AFC? Who's going to come out of the NFC? And then who's the Super Bowl prediction winner? Elliot, you want to start this one off? Sure. So I think I think my hot take for the AFC is I think the Titans will come out on top. Tannehill is kind of having a rough season, but I think the Patriots will drop to the Bills. Home's been kind of inconsistent. And, and also, I think the, one of the bigger factors is 
Looks like Henry's going to be back for playoff. If he is back, that gives them a, a huge boost. Overall, just from kind of a statistics perspective, I'm of the opinion that now with a 14-team playoff, getting the first round by is much, much more important because it basically doubles your odds of making it through the Super Bowl. So I do think Titans will end up being the number one seed in the AFC. And the number one seed in the NFC, I think, is going to be the Packers. And I think that they're going to make it through to the Super Bowl. The rest of the schedule is looking easier, I believe, than the rest of the teams in the NFC. There's this whole storyline with it being kind of Rodgers last season that it is a lot of fluff, but also I kind of buy into it. I think he really, really wants to win. They're looking like a balanced team. They have players coming back from injury. Aaron Jones is back. They've showed a lot of really strong showings in the past few games that I think is going to continue in the, in the near future. And then who's your, who's your uh, Super Bowl pick? Oh, that's a good question. I actually did not think about it beyond the, the Super Bowl matchup. I'd have to go with, with the Packers. Okay, so I've been, I've been tossing back and forth on this all day. I'm not going to go with the Patriots coming out of the AFC. As much as I would love that, I just think that uh, – and I think Mac is, is – the moment's not going to be too big for him, but I don't think he's capable of making enough big plays right now against a team, for example, like the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are going to come out of the AFC. It pains me to say it because I hate them. Um, but last game against the Raiders, past couple weeks, I mean, they started their defense, started this season, like, historically awful, and in the past five or six games has become one of the best defenses in the NFL right now. And right now, all they need to win is Patrick Mahomes to be, like, pretty good. Now just imagine in the next, like, four or five games if Patrick Mahomes, uh, his toe has been kind of hurt a little bit of the season. It seems to be getting better slowly. If he goes in the playoffs healthy – if that offense starts cooking again, they just got CEH back. I see them running through the AFC with like little to no resistance. I think the only resistance would be against the Patriots or the Titans. And I think the Titans, even if they get Derrick Henry back, I just don't think that they have enough chemistry on offense right now, passing or running. And I think that they have enough deficiencies on defense that uh, uh, Chiefs with just more talent can beat them. And then I think against the Patriots, I think they just don't have enough talent. Even with the skill, I just don't think they have enough talent and experience. Like a lot of their players used to on offense just be so ready for the moment. I mean, like Edelman, Gronk, Brady, completely unfazed by it's third and 10, you're an arrowhead and you need a first down, otherwise you lose this game. I just don't know if Kendrick Bourne and Hunter Henry uh, and Mac Jones are, are up for that right now. Next couple of years, though, you know, we got it, but it's okay. And then I think coming out of the NFC, I think this one's a little bit more tricky, but I'm going to give it to the Bucks. I just think that they're most complete team right now. I think they've been the most talented team all season and are just showing it now. This was kind of the time of year last year that they started getting going again. Brady kind of reminds me of LeBron in like the past few years in terms of just like regular season. He's like, he's going through, he's doing well, he's winning games, but then just like playoffs, the dude just turns it on in like a way that's just absurd. And he's got the team around him and Tony Brown will be back. They don't have any deficiencies on offense or defense. I think, like I I said, their offensive line is the best, best unit in football right now and will carry them through cold weather. Also, even if they have to go up to green Bay and play them, I think that they match up well with Green Bay's defense and that their defense can do enough creative stuff to 
keep Aaron Rodgers in check if they just completely shut down Devontae Adams. There's really not much that is going on with that offense outside of that. And, oh, I guess I have to pick who wins now. So I, I just, wow, I just predicted a Super Bowl rematch. And I'm going to give it to the Chiefs this time. I think it, what's terrifying about the Chiefs right now is that they're not playing their best football on offense at all, and they're beating up on teams. And I think it's gone a little bit under the radar the past four or five games because that's a boring storyline. But I think that they're going to round into shape and just run through the AFC and, and beat the Bucks. Yeah, I think that's interesting that you predicted a rematch. And like this time last year, I guess last year it was the Chiefs that were favored against the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. But this year, I guess if things maintain shape or if you cut the season off right now and said those two teams would meet, people would favor the Buccaneers. So it's interesting to see how that's flipped. But for me, I also agree with Shiv. I think the Chiefs will come out of the AFC. And kind of just summarizing what he said, I'm counting on regression to the mean for the defense. So they've been really, really good. And defense is also a little harder to predict week to week. So a little bit of regression to the mean. And then for Patrick Mahomes, I'm counting on regression or I guess progression to his own mean performance. This year, he's kind of regressed to kind of a league average mean, but we know Mahomes has his kind of own, you know, unique mean or average performance. And he's been consistently below average for his performance. So I'm counting on some regression from the defense, some progression for Mahomes, and that'll kind of even out. And then I think the bills are also sneaky. I mean, I, I think they might be right up there with the Titans and the Patriots in terms of challenging. I think they beat the Chiefs early in the season. They lost by three to the Titans. I'm just looking at this right now. They lost this weekend in overtime to the Buccaneers. They lost to the Patriots in that kind of really low-scoring game. So they're right with there with all the competitive teams, even though they're a seven-six wildcard team. So I think people are kind of forgetting about them while I think they're right up there as a top three, four team still. And then on the NFC... I was going to say the Cardinals because they have the number one seed right now. And I think that number one seed is going to be hugely important more so in the NFC because, you know, it's the only team that gets a buy. And like Elliot said, it basically almost doubles your odds that you don't have to potentially face one of those other teams or more rested. You have more time to, to game plan. So my cop-out answer is whoever gets the number one seed in the NFC, I will choose them. But right now, I guess the Cardinals are that team that will get the number one seed. So I, I will, say the Cardinals right now, but looking at the kind of remaining strength of schedules, Tampa Bay actually has the easiest remaining strength of schedule in the league. They're playing the jets, the Panthers twice and the saints. So I think all losing teams, then the Packers have the 26th easiest remaining schedule. The Cardinals have the 22nd. So all have pretty easy remaining schedules. I think the Packers have the tiebreaker over the Cardinals because they beat them. And then looking at 538, the odds for the first round buys, the number one seed gives the Cardinals a 38% chance, the Packers a 33 and the Buccaneers a 26% chance. So it's all really competitive for that number one seed. So I think whoever wins that is my pick for the NFC. But right now, I guess I would say the Cardinals because that is the current state. Um, and then the Super Bowl, I'd say the Chiefs just going off priors. Uh, I, I just wanted to put out there that I think like a huge trend in the NFL right now is kind of regression to the mean in terms of running game. The past few years have seen just crazy high-flying offenses that didn't really have that much of a run game and were totally fine. Uh, a lot of teams are starting to expose that, like the Patriots and the Bills are seeing that that's not really a formula that they can win with right now. And so I think the teams that are going to just, this is just like an overall statement, but I think the teams that are going to do the best in the playoffs and towards the end of the season when things get a cold, are going to be teams that have a balanced 
run and pass game. And, and even if it's not balanced, can if they are forced to either run or pass the ball uh, effectively and have a defense that travels. And I think right now a team that has an off-chance shot of really shocking people is the Colts. I know that Elliott has them out of the playoffs, but I think that they could really uh, they could play spoiler in the AFC playoff picture right now. But yeah, I think that should wrap up our discussion. Just to summarize, Elliott had the Titans in the FC and the Packers in the NFC with the Packers winning it all. Shiv had the Chiefs and Bucks in a Super Bowl rematch, this time with the Chiefs winning it all. And I had the Chiefs playing the Cardinals in the Super Bowl and also picked the Chiefs to win. I think that should wrap up our podcast. We had a pretty interesting discussion talking about early season-wide trends, then looking at what teams have underperformed, teams that have overperformed, and then on the same token, players that have also over and underperformed, then making our predictions for kind of the rest of the season, what teams will sneak into the playoffs, what teams will fall out, as well as our early Super Bowl predictions for a potential Super Bowl matchup. Uh, again, I want to thank Elliot and Shiv for coming on the podcast, both first-time guests, but definitely not the last. You can always check out their articles on our blog at harvardsportsanalysis.org and follow us on Twitter at Harvard underscore sports. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for a NFL playoff preview episode. But until then, yeah, enjoy the final few weeks of the NFL season. Thanks, David. Thank you, guys.